Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 156. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. Reporting for duty. We are back once again to discuss the latest goings-on in the world of Nintendo. So we have some news to talk about, we have some impressions to deliver, and then we have this week's big topic, which is the 20th anniversary of the Game Boy Color. Man, oh man, makes me feel old. Well, it certainly has been a long time. But before we get to that, let's kick things off with some news. First and foremost, last week there was a Nintendo Direct. More specifically, there was a Smash Direct, and it handed out a whole bunch of brand new details on Super Smash Bros. Ultimate for the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, I thought we'd heard almost everything there possibly was about this game, but apparently not. Nope, there was definitely still more to learn. And the thing that caught my attention the most is this new adventure mode called the World of Light. Mm-hmm. This mode looks absolutely insane. <laughs> in a good way. Yes, definitely in a good way. I mean, they haven't really spelled out all the details, but from what we saw in the trailer, it starts with an army of master hands showing up, and apparently they kill everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty grim. They kill all your favorite gaming heroes and villains. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But the good news is that Kirby survives, and so he goes on a mission, and he is going to restore everyone, probably by fighting them in battle. <laughs> Apparently, you, know, you run around a world map, you activate switches, you learn new abilities, you fight bosses like one of the monsters from Monster Hunter, and then you also encounter these spirit characters, which are basically fighters taking on characteristics of other characters who didn't make it into the game as full fighters. And, you know, that's a whole other new aspect of the game that's really, really exciting. Yeah. Everywhere you turn, there's just, like, more information about this game. Yeah. And, you know, there are apparently no more trophies. There are no more stickers. But spirits are sort of a combination of the two. And it's a perfect excuse for getting all of these guest characters into the game that wouldn't otherwise be in there. So, like, you know, K.K. Slider <laughs> and Otacon from Metal Gear, Medusa from Castlevania... Knuckles from Sock the Hedgehog, Pigma from Star Fox, Blooper. Blooper's in there. <laughs> what about Blooper Nanny? I can't promise you there's a Blooper Nanny, but Blooper is in there. <laughs> and Shantae cool. is in there, which is pretty darn awesome. Oh, that's right. The half-genie hero, right? Yep, that is correct. She is in there representing some indies. Mm -hmm. Nice. So, yeah, this looks totally crazy. This looks like the humongous, meaty, single-player mode that I have really wanted in Smash Brothers for, you know, like the past, you know, five, six, seven years. Yeah, I mean, honestly, after kind of learning about these details, I just decided, you know what, it's time to go ahead and pre-order this game. <laughs> I pre-ordered on day one, man. Well, I was waiting for the digital download, per usual. Ah, I see, I see. Yeah, that's right. You do save a bunch of money if you do it that way. Well, you know, guys got to be thrifty. Yeah, it's not a bad plan. It is probably the kind of game you'd want to keep in your system for the long haul. So I am actually kind of tempted to do the digital route myself, but uh, no, I have to go ahead and get the physical version. <laughs> it's just how I roll. Yeah, I think um, with Smash Brothers, I was a little bit concerned about not having a robust single-player mode, and, and I don't get the chance to play that often with friends. Mm -hmm. And I'm not super into the online, so I'm really excited to hear that there's this like really robust single-player mode. Yeah, me too, me too. I mean, we don't really know how extensive it gets, but just judging from what they showed, it looks absolutely massive. So I cannot wait to play this. It looks really, really cool. Yeah, so far, that seems to be my favorite part, or at least most wanted part. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, in addition to unveiling that, they also announced three brand new characters for the game. Oh, yeah. Yes. And one of those is Ken from Street Fighter. And, you know, that was one that I called out as one that I thought had a very good chance of being in the game. And indeed it is. He is apparently just an Echo Fighter of Ryu, which makes a whole lot of sense. (laughs) But he does seem to have a few of his own special signature moves in there. So, you know, I'm not really sure where they draw the line between a regular fighter and Echo Fighter. But whatever. It's still, you know, fairly cool that he's in there. I mean, that's almost like Street Fighter, right? He's basically (laughs) the same as Ryu. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Both a few alterations, like his flaming Shoryuken is in there, and you know he's still got that. So, yeah, congrats on uh, Ken for making it into the game. Ken Masters. Yes, indeed. And then Incineroar is in there. That's right. Now you called this. I feel like. Did I? I don't know. I mean, if I could pick any Pokemon for being included in the game, it would definitely be Incineroar, because. He really is a fighting-type character that deserves to be in Smash Brothers. Like, I was saying I really wanted him to be in Pokken Tournament, I think. <laughs> and he didn't make the cut in that. Mm. But here he is. This is even better, him being in Smash Brothers. Yeah, um, I feel like you did say something about Smash Brothers. Maybe I'm misreading it. But, uh, yeah. Anyways, I'll give you credit. <laughs> well, either way, I am very happy that he's in there. And, you know, aside from just being you know a cool character because he really you know seems to be built for a fighting game... <laughs> You know, he's a grappler, so we finally have, like, a wrestling-based, grappling-based character in the game. And so he has a drop kick and a giant swing, and he, you know, does these flexing poses after his successful attacks, which is pretty cool. (laughs) And then for his special moves, he's got the Darkest Lariat, which was his spinning clothesline from the neutral position. He's got the Cross Chop, which is the up special, which is a diving attack. Which is a kind of a shout-out to Ken Korn Karn, let's just say. Maybe. I mean, Starman's the character from Pro Wrestling that has the flying cross-chop move. (laughs) And then he throws his opponents against the ropes and then uh, clotheslines them or back body drops them for his side special. (laughs) Uh, Then his down special is called Revenge, which lets him power up his next attack, which, yeah, that's not really the kind of thing I'm into, but uh, okay. (laughs) And then his final smash is called the Max Malicious Moonsault, which really isn't a moonsault, but like he punches and combos (laughs) the enemy into the air and then comes crashing down on top of him with a headbutt. And it all looks pretty darn cool, in my opinion. Yeah, there's like a giant meteor smash and the whole arena just Uh explodes. Yep, yep. I like the uh, ring ropes just pop up out of nowhere when he does the uh, Irish whip move, too. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, like every level, there's just, there happens to be uh, ring ropes around. Yep, sure. Why not? (laughs) So yeah, I think he's a great inclusion to the game. And I also think it is a perfect opportunity for a pro wrestling character, Echo Fighter. <laughs> you know, I love the Amazon, but I think that Starman would be the best Echo Fighter in this case, just because his moveset is better suited to uh, what Incineroar can do in the ring. I mean, you know, they haven't said anything about additional Echo Fighters being available as DLC, so I'm thinking, you know, maybe it'll happen just as a free DLC or something like that. But, you know, I would love to see that happen. Probably won't, but I would love to see it happen. (laughs) I like the way you think, Chris. (laughs) Or it could be Zangief. You never know. Yeah, it could be. The way that Sakurai said something about it being a red cyclone in relationship to the Darkest Lariat really strongly hinted at Zangief being involved. (laughs) But obviously, for my money, I would much rather see a character at a pro wrestling. I'd love to see Starman in there. Uh, You and me both. And then, last and probably least, Piranha Plant is in there. (laughs) Yeah, that's an odd choice, I think, but... uh, Yeah, that was definitely a WTF moment. But, you know, after watching his attacks, it kind of does look kind of fun. Not gonna lie. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like he was you know implemented poorly or anything, but uh, I mean, to me, it just feels like a waste of resources. Did anybody want this outside <laughs> of Sakurai? I don't think so. You know, that's how Nintendo operates, though, right? Like, whatever you want, just imagine, like, like cross ten things off your list, and then maybe you'll be in the neighborhood of what they'll give you. Well, whatever Sakurai wants, Sakurai gets, I think. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's such a weird choice to put a piranha plant in there instead of, you know, Toad or Waluigi or something like that. I mean, it is a free DLC character for early adopters, I guess. So, you know, there is that aspect to it. Mm -hmm. But still, there are dozens of characters I would rather see before Piranha Plant. <laughs> now, on the bright side, you can get a Piranha Plant amiibo. Amiibo! Uh, yes, that is true. There is a Piranha Plant amiibo coming out in February, along with the amiibo of King K. Rule and the Ice Climbers. Those are all set to come out early next year. And then we also know that later in the year, there are going to be amiibo of Isabel, Ken, Young Link, Pichu, and Daisy. Now, how many of those do you have on pre-order? Uh, I have them all pre-ordered that I can pre-order. <laughs> I have Ridley, Inkling, and Wolf all pre-ordered that come out on the same day that Smash Brothers comes out. And then I have these three from February as well. So all the people that I can pre-order, I have pre-ordered. Believe you me. <laughs> now, we still don't have any word on the remaining characters. We don't know about uh, Incineroar or Simon or Richter or Crom or Dark Samus or the Pokemon Trainer or Snake. Snake? Snake! Snake! Sorry. Presumably all those will be coming as well, but uh, those have not been officially announced yet. Huh. Plenty of Amiibos still in store for 2019. Yes, I mean, and maybe that means those are not coming until 2020. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> of course, in addition to those playable characters that have been announced, there are also numerous characters making it in as assist trophies. So Guile is in there from Street Fighter, Shadow the Hedgehog, Isaac from Golden Sun finally puts in an appearance. <laughs> Springman from ARMS, that's how he's getting in there. Nice. And Dr. Wily is in there too. 59 assist trophies in all. Wow. Yeah, it seems like a, a really good selection, I think. Yeah, there's lots of cool characters getting in there. I mean, obviously some people are upset that Isaac is not a full playable fighter, and the same goes for Shadow, but it's really cool just to see them in there at all, you know? Yeah, it's like Nintendo didn't forget about them. Yeah, and uh, you know, a lot of them are also getting represented as me fighter outfits. So it was kind of funny, I thought, that they actually kind of went out of their way to be like, okay, yeah, Rex from Xenoblade 2, he's not in here, but at least he has a Mii Fighter outfit. <laughs> and, you know, kind of pointing out the same thing with, uh, you know, some other characters that are in there as outfits or stickers like Chibi-Robo or Ribbon Girl. Uh, the Toy-Con, the Toy-Con actually is in there as a Mii Fighter outfit. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I kind of feel like those were almost like, yeah, these are the characters that didn't quite make the cut. I feel like, you know, stuff like that, you know, Chibi-Robo, Rex... Toy-Con, uh, Springman from ARMS. I feel like all those were just sort of on the cusp of maybe making it in. And who knows, maybe some of them still could be DLC characters. But uh, I do think that it's interesting that kind of went out of the way to be like, oh, look, here's where they're being represented. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's great to see all these characters getting in, you know, one way or another. Yeah, it really does just feel like this, like, giant party of Nintendo characters. Yeah, I mean, that's always what Smash Brothers is. But even more than ever, that's what this is like. So yeah, very, very exciting. And I'm always all for them finding like clever and unique ways to sneak new characters in. So Yeah, and with what they're doing with the Spirit Fighters, that's definitely a good way to get in a lot of cameo appearances that we wouldn't otherwise be seeing. So, yeah, I mean, they are really going all out with uh, you know the Nintendo love here. They really, really are. 
anyway, we are only about a month away from the game. It is going to be chock full of nintendo goodness. I absolutely cannot wait to give it a play. Yeah, so if you don't have it pre-ordered, get it pre-ordered. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, one kind of unique thing is that, uh, you know, after I pre-ordered the uh, digital version, mm-hmm. I received an email shortly thereafter giving me my code to download the Piranha Plant. Oh, all right. Well, make sure you don't lose that then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, uh, where do I keep this email that I'm not going to lose it? Yeah, you better tag it or something. Put it in a special folder. That's right. I'll print it off and stick it to my forehead. <laughs> yes, that's definitely the best plan, Pete. <laughs> All right, well, let us move along to some other news. There are, believe it or not, actually other more exciting games on the way to Nintendo Switch. And a few of those are coming from Capcom. Next year, we are getting three Resident Evil ports coming to Switch. Yeah, and it's easy to kind of look at this and go, oh boy, more ports. But you know what? At least with Resident Evil 4, I'm pretty excited about this. Yeah, I mean, we did that episode not too long ago where we talked about which ports from that era we'd actually want to see on Switch, and I'm pretty sure some of these Resident Evil games came up in that conversation. So yeah, we are getting Resident Evil 1, presumably the GameCube remake of Resident Evil 1, Mm -hmm. as well as Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil 0. Now, Capcom hasn't really said anything else about this. In fact, they haven't even put out a press release. They basically just went on social media, said these games are coming, and that was pretty much it. (laughs) But uh, still, you know, it's great to know those are on the way. Yeah, it's definitely cool. I think if I had to rate these, I'd probably go 4 being the best, uh, Resident Mm -hmm. Evil 1 being the second best, and 0 being the worst. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely have to agree with that. But, you know, honestly, I I imagine they'll they'll be a reduced price. I don't know that for a fact. But, you know, Revelations, I believe, was only 20 I think, for each game. Uh, Yeah, I think that's right. 20 bucks for uh, Revelations 1 and 20 bucks for Revelations 2. Yeah, I think if you bought them together, there was some kind of discount or something. I'm hoping maybe there might be something like that with this. Who knows? But I do expect them to be a discounted price. Would you say that's fair? I would say they're probably not going to be full price games. Yeah, I think that is very, very likely. But yeah, they are some all-time classics, and it's great to see them come to Switch. Yeah, and if it's a good port of Resident Evil 4, I mean, that's going to be a must-have, I think, for most Switch owners. Yeah, I mean, we haven't had that one brought to a Nintendo system since uh, the Wii version came out. So, yeah, it's a great opportunity for people who don't have it on current hardware. Just don't make me use motion controls. (laughs) Or make it optional at the very least. That's what I mean. Don't force me to use it. For sure. And on the completely opposite side of the third-party spectrum, we have learned that there is a new game in the Bubsy series coming to Switch next year. (laughs) You almost can't say that without laughing. Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe, but yes, Bubsy Paws of Fire is on the way. And get this, it appears to be an auto-runner, <laughs> and it is being developed by Choice Provisions, the makers of the BitTrip series, and uh, Runner 2 and 3. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's very, very bizarre, and when I look at pictures of the game... It looks to me very much like Runner 2 and 3. This really doesn't look like Bubsy. This looks like part of the uh, BitTrip spinoff series, <laughs> which is just kind of wild and weird. And like, why is this even happening? It's just bizarre. <laughs> well, you know, Bubsy just hanging out, looking for something to do. Yeah, I guess he hasn't been uh, doing too much lately. I mean, there was uh, an attempt to revive that brand not so long ago. But, I mean, why? Why would you want to revive that brand? Just let it stay dead, you know? (laughs) Wow. What did Bubsy ever do to you? Uh, He betrayed and murdered my family. Wow. But, I mean, on the other hand, the fact that this is by choice provisions actually gives it a very good chance of being, dare I say it, a good game. Yeah, that's true. So it's in good hands. 
Yeah, it definitely is. It is insane. I don't really understand why they would want to try to bring back a series like this that isn't exactly beloved by the fans. But uh, if there was ever a chance of turning Bubsy into a respectable (laughs) series, this is probably it. I never thought I'd hear those words in that order. (laughs) Yeah, don't I know it. (laughs) And speaking of things that are kind of hard to believe, there is actually a new Wii U game coming out in the near future. A game exclusive to Wii U, in fact. Uh, You don't say. Yes, yes there is. It's true. It is called Sinister Assistant. It is from our friends at indie developer Ultra Dolphin Revolution. (laughs) And it is a top-down adventure game inspired by... 8-bit classics in which you play a wizard named Emuela. I don't really know a whole lot of other details, but it's apparently coming this fall. It's only going to be $4, or $3.99 to be exact. So if you've got a hankering to breathe some new life into your Wii U, there you go. I don't know if anyone would actually do that, but uh, who knows? (laughs) Indeed, indeed. And then the last bit of news I want to touch on is that reveal that we had just a couple days ago of the Diablo 3 Amiibo. Amiibo! Oh, yes, that must have your whisker pairs tingling. Well, I'm always excited about new Amiibo. And yes, this is the Loot Goblin for Diablo 3. It is a GameStop exclusive. It's this uh, comical little red goblin with a big bag of treasure on its back. And while I have not even played Diablo 3 yet on Switch, I have indeed pre-ordered it. Man, oh man, just addicted to those Amiibos, aren't you? Oh yes, yes I am. Don't you know it? Well, this one's kind of kind of cool looking, and I like that it actually comes in a different box, right? It does, it does. I don't know if I actually like that or not. I mean, if I were an in-package collector, I'd be, why is this one coming in a very strange looking <laughs> box? But since I take them all out, it doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. Right. It's just, uh, you know, your recycle man will go, oh, look at this guy buying more Amiibo. I guess so. (laughs) We know that as far as gameplay goes, it opens up a portal. And beyond that, more details will follow according to the website description. But uh, hopefully it gives some sort of good loot. It is a loot goblin after all. There are also rumors of a demon amiibo for the game that will summon some sort of powerful demon you have to fight. And while that has not been made official or anything, I would totally buy that one too. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we get it. You buy every Amiibo. That's right. I do. Well, you've made Uncle Amiibo proud. Well, I hope so. (laughs) Okay. That does it for the news for this week. Let us move along and discuss a few game impressions. And the game that I have been playing recently is Save Me Mr. Taco on the Nintendo Switch. Ah, yes. The one that looks like it came out on the original Game Boy like 20 years ago. 30 years ago. Yes, that is exactly what it is. It is really, truly an amazing love letter to Game Boy. It nails the look and feel and sound perfectly. It is totally one of those games that you could believe came out like 25 years ago. (laughs) It's got the right size sprites. It's got the four color graphics. It's got the chip tunes. It totally nails everything about that Game Boy aesthetic. So is it good? Uh, So far, I'm definitely having a good time with it. Gameplay-wise, it is an action platformer very reminiscent of Kirby. You acquire these hats to obtain various powers, or if you're not wearing a hat, you can just shoot ink to stun enemies and then use them as platforms. 
There is a little bit of non-linearity in the progression in that you can return to previous areas to access new parts of levels, but for the most part, it is you know very much a classic platformer. And you know all these different hats, you know, sort of like Kirby's abilities, just give you all kinds of things you can do. You can shoot arrows, you can throw boomerangs, you can leave a trail of flowers behind you, which I don't really understand what that does yet. <laughs> but yeah, there are more than 50 of these different hat abilities. And after you have discovered and unlocked one, you can go back to your home and you know decide to wear it at any time. And uh, having a hat on you know doesn't just give you this power, but it also gives you an extra hit. Normally you die after taking just a single hit, but if you're wearing a hat, the hit knocks your hat off instead, and then you can survive another blow. You can also keep a hat in reserve, so you know you can essentially survive two hits if you you know put on your hat after you get attacked. So uh, yeah, hats are definitely good to have as you're exploring the game's 16 dungeons and six worlds. Uh, the dungeons, by the way, are these lengthy, non-linear stages that feature exploration and puzzles and bosses, as well as just you know traditional platforming. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, as I implied, the game can get fairly challenging at times. So uh, you know, once in a while, I think, well, maybe I should have tried the easy mode instead of playing a normal mode. But I'll probably be more satisfied sticking to the regular difficulty. And while I have enjoyed, you know walking through the levels and jumping and blasting enemies and using them to you know get to hidden areas by using them as platforms i do have you know a couple little issues here and there there's a lot of stuff that happens off the screen like once in a while i've had to shoot a switch that's off the screen which is just kind of weird yeah. and sometimes there are enemies waiting for you like just above you off the screen now you can look down and see what's below you at any time but you can't look up weird. and so a lot of times that just leads to cheap hits. It doesn't really seem quite fair. If you look up and be like, oh yeah, there's a bird up there. So as soon as I jump, I will crash right into it. You know, then you know. But when you're just doing some of these blind jumps, it feels uh, not really that fair at times. Uh, the other thing I have an issue with is there is some weird unresponsiveness when you try to go through a door. For some reason, if you're right in the middle of the door and you hit up, it tends to not register it, but if you're off a little bit to the side, then it does let you through. So that's just a weird little oversight that, you know, I guess I can adapt to, but it's just a strange little thing to have in there. Yeah, you shouldn't have to adapt to that. Yeah, it's a strange little quirk. Anyway, I'm not terribly far into the game yet. I'm only in the second world, but I am enjoying it quite a bit. And, you know, like I said, it has such a great retro feel to it. If you have any nostalgia for the Game Boy, I would definitely recommend picking it up. All right, you've possibly convinced me. Yeah, if you you know have fond memories of playing that old black and white or black and green Game Boy, I think you'll absolutely get a kick out of this. And of course, you know playing this in uh, undocked in handheld mode, you know certainly even ups the nostalgia factor even further. So yes, for Game Boy fans, totally check it out. Now that's the only new game that I've been playing recently, but I did want to deliver some impressions on something else. Oh. What's that? And that would be Castlevania Season 2, the animated series on Netflix. Ah, yeah, I've been watching a little bit of that myself. Uh, yeah, I have watched through the entire season, and uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty darn good. Uh, what do you think so far? Yeah, really enjoying it. I, In fact, when this one came out, I decided to go back and watch, rewatch the first season to see kind of uh -huh. where they left off and how it starts. Mm -hmm. I see. Well, fortunately, I remembered it pretty well, so I didn't need to do that. I just <laughs> jumped right in. And 
one thing I like about this season is that it does return to the focus on Dracula because he was sort of the focus on the very first episode of season one and then he just disappeared for the rest of the season. Yeah, you're right. It's really cool to learn his backstory, I think. Yeah, so it goes more into him and also focuses more on the characters on his side, including Hector and Isaac, who were actually characters in the PS2 game, Castlevania Curse of Darkness. Ah, that's right. And, you know, like the first season, there is a lot of Game of Thrones in here, uh, both with the backstabbing and the plotting and the bad guys who you root for because they're facing even worse bad guys, (laughs) but also in the fact there's lots of, you know, gratuitous and unnecessary violence. Uh, you say unnecessary, I say awesome. (laughs) Well, that might be true too. Now, what do you think about Godbrand? He is certainly one of the more interesting enemy characters. Well, he looks a little like me. (laughs) He certainly does have quite a beard going. (laughs) But I thought his voice acting was a little funny sometimes. That is exactly what I was wondering about. His accent is like totally all over the place. Like he's supposed to be like a Viking character, right? Mm -hmm. But... Sometimes he sounds, you know, Eastern European and then Spanish and then Southern, like all within the same sentence. It's really bizarre. <laughs> yeah. And if you read the subtitles, it doesn't really match up with what he's saying. It's like it's <laughs> it's very minute, but there are some differences. Huh, very curious. Now, on the other hand, you know, while we're getting to see lots of what's going on with the bad guys you know, early on, the good guys... You know, they spend like literally more than half of season two just talking in a library. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. But that library happens to be a pretty cool library. It is a pretty cool library. And you get to see you know, lots of little nods to the Castlevania series that are really, really cool. But, you know, I was expecting that after season one, where Trevor and Siphon meet Alucard, they were going to be sort of going on an adventure all over Transylvania. They go through haunted forests and ghost ships and caves and castles and whatnot. But instead, they basically go to this library and they just hang out there for five episodes. <laughs> well, that's season three, where they do all the cool stuff. Well, actually, I would say that they do all the cool stuff in episode seven. (laughs) Now, Pete, maybe you haven't quite got there yet, so I don't want to spoil too much of it. Yeah, don't you dare. But man, after, you know, a bit of slow goings early on in the season, episode seven has like everything you would want out of Castlevania. It has the heroes versus bad guys. It has, you know, an amazing final showdown between some major characters. And there's this one point where the classic Castlevania music kicks in and it just becomes totally awesome (laughs) also the final showdown between the hero and villain is not what i expected at all i thought they were going one way with the story but they went a totally different way so it's kind of interesting that it has this uh twist and surprise to it that i was not anticipating at all very cool yeah i'm enjoying the story a lot i think it's just kind of a fun look at the kind of behind the scenes some of the goings on in the castlevania universe yeah i definitely enjoy it overall I do think it has a few issues with the pacing and it could have been better if those had been ironed out. But uh, yeah, in the end, I certainly enjoy what they provided here. I also understand that they have already renewed Castlevania for season three. And, you know, without giving too much away, they do kind of wrap up the story at the end of this season. So I'm very curious as to where things will go with season three. Like, Are they going to continue this story directly and uh, we get to see more of what happens to these particular characters? Are they going to jump forward several generations and we'll get to see Simon Belmont or Richter Belmont? Or maybe they'll jump ahead to like the Symphony of the Night era and get to see more of what happens with Alucard. Uh, Whatever they do, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a great series and I'm really curious to see where they go from here. And it's, it's just nice to see 
a video game property sort of represented very well from the source material. Yeah, that is definitely, definitely true. I certainly wish that Konami treated the subject matter with as much respect as the makers of the series do. Well, you can't help but think maybe they will take a piece of what's going on here and, and do something new. Well, between this and Smash Brothers, you know, there's like never been a more exciting time to be a Castlevania fan in the last 10 years. So uh, who knows? Maybe Konami will pick up on that and actually do something. That's right. Two more things of note I wanted to mention about Castlevania. One, the music is by someone named Trevor Morris, which I thought was hilarious because that's like the perfect name for a Castlevania character, <laughs> given that there are characters named Trevor Belmont and Jonathan Morris in the series. I'm like, wow, if there was ever anybody born to be involved with this series, is this Trevor Morris guy? Uh, and also, the Blu-ray and DVD for Season 1, it comes out on December 4th. So if you want to have it in your permanent collection or you don't have Netflix or whatever, that is a great way to uh, get up to speed on those first four episodes. Or if you have Netflix, you can actually download them to your phone and watch them anywhere. Uh, yes, that is true. Which I've been doing on my commute. That seems like a good plan, too. All right, with that said, I believe it is time for us to take an intermission. Not so fast there, Chris. Oh, you have something else? Yeah, it's time to hassle the Hoff. Oh, oh boy, here we go again. What do you have for me this week? All right, Mr. Video Game Professor Hoffman, if you could make an amiibo of any character from a game or real-life person, which would you choose and why? Huh. Well. I think you could make your own, like, you could make your gym coach from fourth grade into an amiibo? Hmm, I don't think I would do that. You know, at first when you started to say this, I thought it was going to be an easy answer. Because, you know, my normal answer would be a character from pro wrestling. You know, I've been saying I want to see the Amazon, you know, get a place in Smash Brothers for years and years. And so that's like a character I don't think is ever going to get <laughs> an amiibo otherwise, unless I like were to wish it into existence. So that is probably where I would go. I mean, I love Mike Hager. I love Professor Layton. I love Phoenix Wright. All those would be great. But I don't think there's any way we would ever get a Amazon Amiibo unless I were just to will it to happen. However, then when you say it could also be a real-life person, you know, that really ups the stakes. And so, obviously, I would have to go with the one true real-life superhero, Mr. T. So... Do I go with Mr. T or do I go with the Amazon? It's a really tough decision, but I have had lunch with uh, Mr. T at IHOP. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I think I would go with that. I think I have to go with Mr. T. Be a of Mr. T eating pancakes at IHOP. Yes, that's what it would be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you think you would unlock in games? Uh, invincibility, of course. Oh, right. Yeah. Or just lots and lots of gold. <laughs> it's true. Well, good answer. All right, there you have it. Mr. T Amiibo. Look for it nowhere in the near future. Now, I figure you can buy Mr. T figures, like, in the store. You know, they're not Amiibo or whatever, but you cannot buy the Amazon anywhere. So maybe maybe that might have been a better one, but I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm very, very torn. But, uh, you know, if there's an option for a Mr. T Amiibo, that's where I'm going. Yeah, I pity no fools. I pity him. I pity a lot of them. <laughs> I pity, in fact, I pity the fool who doesn't want by Mr. T. Amiibo. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now it is time for us to take an intermission, and then we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is the 20th anniversary of the Game Boy Color. 
All right, we are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is the 20th anniversary of the Game Boy Color. And I mentioned this before, but uh, this one makes me feel old. <laughs> yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's certainly been a while since that came out. Two whole decades. Almost. The exact date for North America is November 18th, 1998. That is when it came out over here. And it might be hard for people to understand now, but when the Game Boy Color finally came out those nearly 20 years ago, it was like a big freaking deal. It was. Like, the original black and white Game Boy came out all the way back in 1989, <laughs> and... It was like insanely popular and crushed all the competitors of the day that were in color, like the Game Gear and the Lynx. But, you know, it felt really, really old and outdated. And you know, Nintendo was just sort of doing its Nintendo thing where it did not want to mess with success. And so it just kept on delivering, you know, black and white Game Boy. You know, it would give us some new versions. It'd give us colored shells. They'd play it loud. <laughs> but still, it was pretty much giving us this black and white four color hardware for like nine years and so man oh man were people ready and waiting for something better to come out and then it finally did 20 years ago a color portable nintendo system with a whopping 56 colors on the screen at once yeah i just remember being super hyped for this handheld like reading about it in magazines and being like wow this is coming out like why did I not know that I wanted this and why do I want it so badly now? <laughs> well, I think it is because we've been stuck playing just these black and white games for so many years. And by that time, the Game Boy was really starting to show its age. I mean, sure, there was still great stuff like Pokemon coming out, but you know, there was a lot of uh, shovelware and the hardware just felt really, really aged. So it was definitely time to upgrade. And so that's why I think it was so exciting for everyone. And the state of gaming at that point, there really wasn't a handheld on the market besides like, you know, as you said, kind of black and white game systems. Mm -hmm. And then this came out and it offered backwards compatibility with the like yep, that's hundreds right. of games that were out there in the market. Yep, um, totally. And all your favorites that you probably had in a in a shoebox somewhere in your closet. Mm -hmm. And not only that, then there was these new games coming out just for it. Yes. Yep, Absolutely. Can we also just one second talk about the screen? Because I remember when I first saw the screen, like I just like, I don't know, I was overcome. <laughs> In a good way? Yeah, it was just seeing like Game Boy, original Game Boy games kind of come to life in a way you'd never really seen. Even like when you plugged in like uh, Metroid 2 Return of Samus, a game that I hadn't played in I think probably 10 years prior to that. You know, just seeing it kind of in a new light was, like, amazing. Yeah, I mean, they had it, you know, programmed in there. So even old black and white Game Boy games would sort of, you know, get a new life. They would have them made and they would run in, like, seven colors or something like that. It's like, ooh, wow, amazing. So, yeah, yeah there are definitely reasons that we have fond memories of the system for sure. Yeah, and lastly, just the battery life on this thing was amazing compared to the original. You'd only put, like two AA batteries and it would last like i mean almost like 40 hours really wow uh so at the time i mean i just remember that being like an unbelievable act of magic almost so you know we finally got the system it was very exciting it was a huge leap forward but also you know during the system's lifespan it didn't quite fulfill that prompt. I mean, there was good stuff, but it also sort of became like a dumping ground for third parties. <laughs> and you know that was happening at the end of the black and white Game Boy's life cycle that continued into the Game Boy Color, just 
all of these terrible, terrible license crap <laughs> games. You don't like to play American Idol, the game? <laughs> I swear, half of these games on Game Boy Color were just unplayable garbage. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to argue on that. But, you know, nonetheless, that's not why we're here. There was plenty of good stuff. There were some really, really great games. And so that's why we're here to celebrate the Game Boy Color and discuss our top 10 games for the system. Starting with number 10, which is Kirby Tilt and Tumble. Yeah, Kirby Tilt and Tumble kind of has a, a special place in my heart. I remember picking it up. It was actually a, a game that the cartridge itself had an accelerometer in it. So the Game Boy Color mm-hmm. by default did not have this ability. But once you put the game into your system and booted it up, it would then allow you to play the game and you had to play the game with motion controls. Yeah, I mean, it was basically Nintendo's first motion-controlled game, right? Yeah, it really was. I mean, when you think about it, this was, I think, you know, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Nothing had come out yet using accelerometers that Nintendo built. I mean, save maybe the uh, the, the Pocket Pikachu, which uh, nobody counts that. Uh, <laughs> but this really had motion-controlled gaming. And, uh, you know, if you look at it, it kind of paved the way for future endeavors that we're still kind of, you know, feeling the ramifications of. Yeah, I mean, the name kind of says it all. You really did have to tilt your Game Boy Color system all around to roll Kirby through these levels. You'd actually, like, sort of flick it in the air to make Kirby, like, jump from one (laughs) level to another. It was uh, definitely crazy and innovative, and there was absolutely nothing else like it at the time. Basically, he's just a ball rolling on a board, and if you tilt the system, he would uh, roll around and you'd try to get him into uh, little pockets and holes and platforms and all that. Yep, exactly. Moving along then to number nine, we have Shadowgate Classic. Like the name states, it is indeed a classic. The medieval fantasy graphic text adventure with great puzzles and solid visuals and an interesting story and a slightly spooky setting in this big old castle Shadowgate. Now this wasn't a remake of the original, right? It was basically just a port of the original. It was the same as what we had on the NES, more or less. Just a little more polished, a little sharper looking, and uh, pour it over into handheld form. Yeah, Shadowgate was just, you know, your classic uh, point-and-click adventure, only in the palm of your hand. Yeah, really, no one did that type of game better back in the day, and it was great to be able to have it on the go. Totally. Moving along to number eight, we have Shantae. Oh, your favorite. Well, it is certainly a series I like very much, And this is where it got its start. It was one of the last Game Boy Color games. It was released in 2002. And uh, yeah, this is the one that sort of started all. This is where Shantae's journey began and introduced gamers to the purple ponytail belly dancer. (laughs) Her first outing introduced us to that character, as well as many of her allies and enemies, including Pete, your favorite, Risky Boots. (laughs) Yeah, so quite the unassuming hero. But obviously, she's got some staying power, and uh, she's still here with us now. Yeah, this game established a lot of the elements that have continued on today, introduced her transformation dances, and also had some innovative combat elements in it as well that uh, haven't really been in the later games as much. So in some ways, you could say this is uh, the deepest adventure that Shantae's ever been on. Ah, Shantae. Uh, It's also uh, pretty rare as a cartridge and highly sought after, so I am very happy it was released on 3DS as a virtual console game a few years ago. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely saves on the pocketbook. (laughs) And in at number seven is Super Mario Bros. Deluxe. Yes, a portable handheld version of one of the best games of all time, I would say. 
almost perfectly recreated in handheld form on the GBC. Yeah, now you can obviously play Super Mario Brothers in a variety of ways now these days. Mm-hmm. But at right. that time, it really was, I, I think, maybe one of the best ways to play if you were trying to play handheld Mario. Yeah, I mean, you were very limited back then. You could play it on the NES. You could play it in Super Mario All-Stars on the Super NES. But uh, beyond that, you didn't really have any options. If you wanted to play a handheld Mario game, it was pretty much going to be uh, Super Mario Land or Super Mario Land 2. And here you go. You know, the all-time classic, Super Mario Brothers Deluxe. Here it is, almost perfectly recreated on Game Boy Color. Yeah. Now, I will say the one negative about this game was that the screen size was not the same as the NES screen size. So you actually didn't get to see the full perspective of the screen. That is true. That is true. On the other hand, there was another mode where you could play the original Japanese Super Mario Brothers 2, which was like a much more difficult challenge. I remember being obsessed with that version of the game. Yeah, yeah. There were definitely cool new additions. Uh, there was a challenge mode. There were actually a couple visual upgrades. And like you said, this is the first time we got to play those Lost level stages in their essentially original form. Yeah, they were there in Super Mario All-Stars that had those 16-bit enhancements. And this was really that first time we could play it in its 8-bit style as it was originally meant to be. So yeah, that was a very, very cool addition. Yeah, I never actually played Super Mario All-Stars, so I never got to play the Lost Levels until this game. Yeah, it makes sense that that would uh, be so captivating to you then. But uh, anyway, look at it. Yeah, an excellent portable game. Deluxe. Okay, on to number six then. We have Mega Man Extreme. Extreme, <laughs> extreme Mega Man. Was this where he drank Mountain Dew and <laughs> watched motocross? Totally. No, it actually was not very extreme at all. I don't really know why they had to go with that ridiculous title. (laughs) It's basically a scaled-down, remixed version of Mega Man X. Mm -hmm. It included levels and bosses and other elements from Mega Man X and Mega Man X2. And they managed to scale all this stuff down from the Super NES into the Game Boy and Game Boy Color really, really well. It was remarkably fun. It had the wall jumping, the dashing, the hidden upgrade parts, uh, catchy remixes of Mega Man X tunes. It was just a really, really fun Mega Man game, an excellent uh, action platformer in its own right. And even though it borrowed lots of elements from previous games, it was still a heck of a lot of fun. Would you say it was excellent? Uh, Indeed. Indeed, I would. (laughs) It was excellent. It was exciting. I'm just not sure it would be extreme. (laughs) One word of warning, however, even though this is a Game Boy Color game, it can be played on the black and white Game Boy. I actually played through it on a Super Game Boy, you know, the one that plugs into a Super NES. Mm -hmm. And when I beat the final boss in hard mode, it locked up on me and wiped all of my save data. (laughs) Wow. So, Pete, you are not the only person to have erased my completed save file. Mega Man Extreme did it to me also. Just so you know. Well, I'll take credit as being the only person. (laughs) That sounds like the only machine that did it. Fair enough. I kind of like that. Yes, you can still have that credit to your name. (laughs) All right, coming in at number five is Pokemon Gold, Silver, and Crystal. Yes, the uh, second generation Pokemon game. And really the first Pokemon game I ever played extensively. Yeah, I actually got to test this one, Chris. Really? Huh, wow. That's impressive. <laughs> at the time, it definitely was uh, daunting. It was a huge game, and there was so much to look at. Yeah, I mean, 
Even though it adhered very, very much to the formula established by the first Pokemon game, it was a brand new world, there were a hundred new Pokemon, and there were even brand new starters, uh, Chikorita, Cyndaquil, and Totodile. Yeah, you know, I fell in love with the original Pokemon 150 characters. Mm -hmm. No, when they upgraded to this version, you didn't get to have any of them. And I was very disappointed in thinking there's just no way I'm going to like these characters as much. And I actually think I did. Very nice. Who'd you choose as your starter? I'm pretty sure I went with Totodile most of the time. Hmm. I think I went with Cyndaquil myself, but uh, it's been a long time, so it's a little hard to say. Uh, of course, even though it was a lot like its predecessor, it did add new elements, obviously the color graphics, but also the real-time clock elements that affected gameplay by tracking the time and day of the week that actually, uh, you know, changed like, you know, the Pokemon you would counter and things like that. Yeah, it really expanded on the uh, on red, blue, and yellow almost in every single way and uh, was mm -hmm. just all around a very good, if not completely better game than the original. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people might, you know, take issue with that statement, but <laughs> honestly, I think you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard to discredit the original, but it just really was such a great successor to it in every way that I think hasn't really been done since until Sun and Moon. Yeah, it kind of pains me to say this, but in this case, Pete, I've totally got your back on this one. <laughs> Thanks, Hoff. All right, then. So coming in at number four, we have Metal Gear Solid. Now, didn't it have like a subtitle? No, it was just Metal Gear Solid in North America. I think in another territory, it had this Ghost Babble subtitle to differentiate it from the Metal Gear Solid the players knew on the PlayStation. But uh, no, over here, it was just called Metal Gear Solid. But despite this name, it was a completely new adventure featuring Solid Snake. And despite being scaled down, even though the story is non-canonical, even though it's stage-based instead of having a single interconnected world like the PS1 game, it was still just a ton of fun to play. It still had these crazy bosses and loads of items and weapons. And the gameplay, you know, even though this was another 8-bit game, the gameplay was so much richer than the original Metal Gear on the NES. Yeah, this game actually felt like you merged, you know, Metal Gear Solid with the NES versions and you got this like hybrid crazy tactical espionage action. Yes, yes indeed. Yeah, the fact that you could, you know, flatten against walls and knock to distract guards and you could actually crawl on your belly and then hide under things just made a world of difference compared to uh, the NES game. Just made it so much more fun to play. Yeah, there was like VR missions and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, it had all the bonus stuff in there as well. So yeah, just lots of great content. Really, really fun game. And really, the only bad thing I can say about this game is it is really unfortunate that it has never appeared on Virtual Console or anything else. And really, the only way to play this is to dig out your old Game Boy Color and play it on that 20-year-old hardware. <laughs> and I'm going to say, if you haven't, you probably should try and get one. If you're really into it, get a copy and try it out. Yeah, it's a pretty darn great game. All right. Coming in at number two and three. Two and three? What could this be? You might be able to guess. It is Legend of Zelda, Oracle of Ages, and Oracle of Seasons. Ah, now I understand. <laughs> Mostly because I helped put together the list. But, <laughs> but yes, this is two great Zelda games released at the same exact time. Oracle of Ages, which lets you travel between two time periods, and Oracle of Seasons, which let you use the season rod to switch between spring, summer, fall, and winter to essentially solve puzzles in four different versions of the world map. And, you know, both games, you know, these were, you know, totally 100% 
to their core, true Zelda games, despite being portable. You know, they had great action, great puzzles, but completely unique maps and dungeons and stories. And, you know, it wasn't all like Pokemon where it's two versions of the same game. These were actually two complete, brand new, separate adventures that were released simultaneously. And that's just kind of crazy when you think about it. Two brand new Zelda games on one day for the same system. That was fantastic back at the time. <laughs> yeah, and I remember hearing that they were going to even release a third one as well, but they ended up yep. scrapping it before these ones came out. Yeah, that was originally in the plans. They were planning it to be a trilogy, which makes sense, you know, given the Triforce and all that. But uh, it's kind of too bad that it didn't happen. But still, these two games were great. And you know, maybe one of the reasons they scaled it down to two is that it does have this password interactivity. After you finish one, you can put a password into the second one. And then once you do that, it allows you to reach uh, a special fight and get a special ending at the end of the game. Maybe that would have just been too complicated with three games. <laughs> uh, regardless, you know, just having... Two fantastic, great Zelda adventures. You know, it was phenomenal. It's really, really hard for me to pick which one is better, but they are definitely among the very, very best on the Game Boy Color. Agreed. And there's definitely some memorable moments, like some of the characters you encounter, some of the uh, animals you get to ride on. Or Oh, that's true. Yep, you even get to ride a Dongo. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Pretty cool stuff. Yes. And it's even more impressive when you consider that it was actually developed by Capcom, not by Nintendo, and they still managed to nail that Zelda formula perfectly. So, uh, you know, kudos to everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that brings us to number one, the number one very best game on the Game Boy Color. <laughs> it is The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening DX. <laughs> <laughs> yes, another Zelda game. Zelda takes the top three. Wow, like a Triforce. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, this was an amazing game on Game Boy, and it got even better with the addition of color. It really did. I mean, this was the de facto version to own. Yes. I mean, it had the same great story and characters and weapons and items and quirky sense of humor <laughs> and dungeons as the original, but now it was, you know, in color. It looked better than ever. Yep, and the gameplay stood the test of time, and then they even went in and added a new dungeon. Yep, the brand new color dungeon that actually took advantage of being able to see in color. That's right. There were some enemies you like can only defeat when they were a certain color. There were some puzzles that you had to solve that involved colors. Yep, exactly. Uh, also, there was the new Game Boy printer compatibility where you got these little illustrations if you were at the right place at the right time in the game. <laughs> it's so weird to imagine people using the Game Boy printer, but uh, teach their own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess that's a topic for another time entirely. <laughs> but still, just being able to see the scenes in-game and see these goofy pictures of, you know, Link getting squished by uh, someone and going into the well or, that's right. you know, things like that happening uh, were, were pretty uh, cool and crazy, interesting and fun, regardless. But yeah, I mean, I would say that Link's Awakening on the original Game Boy is the best game on that system, and it became even better with the DX version. So, uh, yeah, that's our number one game, The Legend of Zelda, Link's Awakening, DX, on the Game Boy Color. It is a must-own for anyone's library. Yep, absolutely. And it's even available on the Virtual Console on 3DS if you don't have a Game Boy Color community lying around. So uh, pick it up and add it to your library if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. And that does it. That is our top ten list for the Game Boy Color. 
It has indeed been 20 years now. Gaming has come a long way in that time. You know, if we went back 20 years and showed people the Switch and showed people what handheld gaming was going to be like 20 years later, they would probably have their heads explode. But uh, <laughs> despite how far we've come, these games, these top 10 games we mentioned, are all still fantastic and still completely worth playing, even all this time later. Yeah, they really are. They uh, they stand the test of time, and I'm just glad that the Game Boy Color existed and sort of brought Nintendo back into the forefront of handheld gaming. Yes, indeed. And with that said, I think that does it for this week's big topic, and it is time for us to wrap up this episode of the podcast. However, before we go, I believe we do have time for one more thing. And what is that, Chris? That is a dramatic reading. Yes. And this time... It is the introduction text from the manual of Super Mario Land 2 for the original Game Boy. Danger, danger. While I was away crusading against the mystery alien Tatanga in Sarasa Land, an evil creep took over my castle and put the people of Mario Land under his control with a magic spell. This intruder goes by the name of Wario. He has been jealous of my popularity ever since we were boys and has tried to steal my castle many times. It seems he has succeeded this time. Wario has scattered the six golden coins from my castle all over Mario Land. These golden coins are guarded by those under Wario's spell. Without these coins, we can't get into the castle to deal with Wario. We must collect the six coins, attack Wario in the castle, and save everybody. Uh, okay. You know, I just feel like there is a lot to unpack here, Pete. Yeah, there really is. What's going on here, Chris? Like, you know, I haven't read this in a long, long time, and it really puts Mario in a new light for me. (laughs) Like, first of all, he lives in a castle? He lives in his own castle? Yeah. I mean, first off, it's written in the first person, which is kind of weird. Yeah, and we learned that he lives in a castle, and he has his own land. Like, basically, he has his own country named after himself. Right, he's basically Bowser. Like, you know, we've seen him in other games like, you know, Super Mario RPG and Mario and Luigi. And he's like, you know, living with Luigi in this humble little house. But it turns out he actually has a castle. He lives in a freaking castle. It's true. And has a country with, uh, you know, people that live in it and apparently rely on him. So, yeah, I mean, if I had remembered all this about Mario, I would be like, you know, Wario, I really don't blame you for being irritated by all this. <laughs> I would be kind of ticked off, too. Right. Plus, he's like, oh, this guy's always been jealous of my popularity. So let's, yeah, I know. let's serve him right. Uh-huh. So, yeah, Mario gets a castle and a land and special treatment from the princess and all this stuff. He can't even be bothered to hang around and rule his people. So, uh, you know, I kind of see where Wario was coming from. I, uh, I do not blame him for doing this one bit. I have to admit. <laughs> An evil creep. <laughs> Who's the real evil creep, though? Yeah. Is it Wario? Or is it the other guy? Makes you wonder. Makes you wonder indeed. Anyway, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com. And you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at ChrisTheHoff. And you can find Pete at Burly Red Yeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, of course, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, 
Pete Michaud. Obey Wario. Destroy Mario. And our good friend, Arms Mechanica. Hey, Pete! We will see you next time.